Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This is our weekly podcast from our Sunday service. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. You all look great today. You know that? You look great. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're looking good today. You're looking good today. Well, Pastor Nate is preaching at a friend of ours church and uh, he said, would you like to come with me or would you like to stay at PCC? And I said, I'll be staying at PCC because PCC is the place to be, right? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited. Uh, God's doing something really special in our church. A few weeks ago, if you're new here or you're listening online, by the way, welcome our online community, first live stream in the gym. We're back. It's good to have you. A few weeks ago, a pipe burst, and it flooded our sanctuary. And, uh, you know, we've been praying for the more in 2024. That was not the more we expected, but here is what I'll tell you. God is doing something really remarkable. Here in the gym, I just sense a fresh outpouring of God's spirit. I also, I just sense a unity that I've never experienced since being here at PCC. There's a unifying that's happening in the gym, and I believe we are going to be talking about the gym days for years to come. Amen? We're going to be talking with fondness. Hey, remember what God did in the gym. We're in the best days. It may not feel like the best, but I guarantee these are some of the most memorable moments in our church, and I'm so glad that you are here a part of it. Well, we've been in a series entitled I Am. I am. Pastor Nate, the last two weeks, has talked about the first two, two I am's, statements from Jesus about himself. And you know, when Jesus makes an I am statement, we stop and we listen. We call these mic drop moments because it's Jesus revealing to us who he is. And the first one that Jesus says is he says, I am the bread of life. When you come to Jesus, you hunger no more. The second one Jesus said is he says, I am the light of the world. Darkness cannot dwell where Jesus is. How many of you know Jesus is the light of Portland? Jesus is the light of our state. Jesus is the light of this city. Amen? I am. Well, today we're going to be talking about the third I am statement. And it's found in John chapter 10. So if you would pull out your Bibles, you pull out your phones, silence them while you're at it. And go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. We're going to be reading the first 10 verses in John. And while you pull it out, I just want to set the scene for you a little bit. In John chapter 8, Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world. Well, in John chapter 9, Jesus encounters a man, a blind beggar, who had been blind since birth. I think it's fascinating and interesting to note that Jesus makes a statement about himself and quickly following is a miracle to show the power of which he's declaring himself to be. So he says, I am the light of the world, and then he encounters a man who is blind and cannot see. Jesus encounters him, and with a little bit of mud, some saliva, and supernatural power, the man is healed. His sight is given back. And this man, if you were the man that would was healed or the woman that was healed, what would you do? You would run back and tell everybody you knew. I can see. I can see. So this man goes and he tells everyone he knows that he can see, that he's been healed. This man named Jesus healed him. 
Well, the Pharisees, the Pharisees get word about this, and they're not happy because Jesus isn't following their rules. Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And not only that, but popularity and news about Jesus is spreading rapidly. So the, the Pharisees decide that they're going to bring this young man in, and they're going to question him about his healing. And so they ask him, who, who was this? Who healed you? How, how can this be? And the man said to them, he said, the man they called Jesus. The man they called Jesus touched me, and now I can see. Well, the, the Pharisees don't believe him. They decide that he's lying, so they bring his parents in. And they say, is he really blind? Was he really born blind? And the parents say, yes, he was born blind, but they're afraid to mention the name of Jesus. And so they say, well, go ask him how he was healed. So they go back to the boy, the man, a second time, and they question him for a second time. And a second time, this man looks at him and he says, I've already told you all I know. All I know is that I once was blind, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I see. How many of you know when you encounter Jesus, he restores you. He gives you your sight back. And here is where we enter. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He restores a man's sight. And Jesus gets wind of the Pharisees questioning this young man. And the Pharisees actually kick him out of the synagogue. And I love this because Jesus, when he had heard it, heard that he'd been thrown out, he found the man and he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This verse can be confusing when you first read it. I'm not going to lie. Jesus came to open up the sight of the blind. What Jesus is saying and he's pointing out in this moment is he's pointing out the spiritual blindness of the Pharisees. He's saying, you think you can see, but I'm right in front of you and you can't even see me. They missed Jesus and he was right in front of them. He's talking about spiritual blindness. That yes, he healed this man's eyesight, but he also awakened his spiritual eyes. So what Jesus is pointing out is he's pointing out, you may be able to physically see, but if you can't see me, you're spiritually blind. And so here we are, we jump into chapter 10, and this is the third I am statement from Jesus, immediately following. It says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Underline that, highlight it, take a picture of it. They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. There it is. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Today I want to talk with you for the next few moments about this topic. Jesus equals everything. Jesus equals everything. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the revelation you have for us today. Would you open our eyes and our ears, open our spiritual eyes to see today? Lord, I surrender my voice to you, and I welcome you to come and do what only you can do, and that's transform hearts today. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have you ever gone somewhere or done something, and you had everything ready? You thought you had everything you needed, and then as you're going along, you realize you forgot the one thing that really mattered? Like, have you ever gone to the airport to get on a plane, and you realize you forgot your ID Anybody done that before? You forgot your ID? You forgot the one thing that mattered? Uh, Maybe you're on a date and you forget your wallet. Some of you guys in here, I don't pay for dates. That's why you're still single. You forgot the one thing that really matters. Or maybe you go on a trip and you forget your glasses or your contacts. You forgot the one thing. A few years ago... I had an encounter like this, and I I have to tell you a little, I want to give you an insight into me, okay? So we've been here 18 months. I feel like I can trust you with this information, and you're not going to make fun of me later. Can we make that commitment? We're making that commitment. We're like going level five. Okay, so I would say I'm a pretty organized person, um, except for when it comes to my keys. I lose my keys every day. Every day, they disappear, they wander off from me, they don't like me. I don't know. Anybody else lose your keys all the time? Okay, we're friends. We're friends. Someone's putting their spouse's hound down. Like, don't raise it. Don't admit to that. Okay, I lose my keys all the time. And in fact, this has become quite a point of tension in my marriage. And Nate is the most kind, patient man. But me losing my keys as often as I do sometimes pushes his buttons. And a few years ago, it got so bad that he got me this, uh, this piece. It's called a tile. You attach to your keys. Anybody else have a tile for their keys? Okay, he attached it. And here's the thing. You can ping your keys from your phone. So it helps you find your keys. Well, this is brilliant, but you have to be able to find your phone. <laughs> and that's the other thing that I lose often, my phone and my keys. So... Realistically, it's a great idea, but for me, it was a little bit of a struggle. And in fact, I had pinged my keys so many times, I actually broke the pinger. Like, it stopped working. So, Nate, I know you're going to listen to this later. Um, I probably need a new one. So, um, it, it was a Sunday morning, and I got all the boys, all the boys, my two boys. My husband was already at work. Pastor Nate was already at church. I got the boys ready. Their teeth were brushed. Their hair was done. The beds were even made. It was like a miracle Sunday. Any other mamas in the house? Like you get out of the house, no one had fought yet. I felt like we were winning. So we get to the car and the door is locked to the car. 
So I reach in my purse to find my keys. They're not there. They ran off again. I don't know where they went. (laughs) My keys are not there. So I start looking for them. I can't find them. Thankfully, I had my phone. So I did what Pastor Nate told me to do and ping your keys. If you can't find them, ping it. So I ping. They're nowhere to be found. So I get the boys. We go back in the house, and we are looking everywhere for my keys. Like all of the cleanliness of the house was gone because I was throwing things, just trying to find my keys. i got to get to church on time. I can't find them. And now we are 30 minutes late to the first service. So I start thinking, well, I can't find them. The pinger doesn't work. Nate must have taken them. (laughs) So I text Nate, and I said, Nate, did you take my keys? You know, because you start blaming other people when you can't find what you need sometimes. It's a real mature reaction. (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's not a mature reaction. And he goes, I did not take your keys. And I said, well, then where did you put them? And he said, those aren't my keys, they're yours. And I said, I'm not responsible enough for this. So he comes home. He comes home and he helps me look for the keys. We are looking everywhere for these keys. We cannot find them. So we're standing in the kitchen near the refrigerator. And Nate says, ping it again. So I pinged it again. And we hear this faint little noise inside the refrigerator. Don't ask me how I do it. I amaze myself. Somehow the keys ended up on the top shelf of the refrigerator. It's a skill. I'll teach you later. The one thing, I had everything ready, but the one thing I needed to get in the car, to go to where I needed to go, I couldn't find. You can have everything in the world. You can have all of the stuff. But if you don't have the one thing that matters, you have nothing. Without Jesus, you have nothing. I want to give you a little equation. Everything without Jesus equals nothing. You can have everything in the world, all the stuff, all the experiences, all the wisdom in the world. But if you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. But Jesus, without anything else, equals everything. And that's my big idea this morning. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Why? Because in him is everything that we need. And there is revelation from this chapter in John, verses 1 through 10. We see three revelations from Jesus about why he is everything that we need. And the first thing is this. Jesus reveals to us that he is the door. He is the door. So Jesus again said to them in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. What are doors? Doors are something that we walk in and out of every day. Doors are symbols of security. They're also symbols of opportunity. Doors. Jesus is saying he is the door. This word door in the Greek is actually interchangeable with gate. So some of you might see in your translation the word gate. But what he's saying is, Jesus is saying, I am the entry point. And the sheep, I want to show you a picture of this. This is a, it's a drawing, but it's a sheepfold. And this is where the sheep would come to be kept safe. And I love this visual because this is what Jesus is saying. He is the door. You cannot get in or out without him. You cannot get in without Jesus. And in those days, sheep 
shepherds. This was very culturally relevant. It's not as culturally relevant today, unless there's any shepherds in the house. Any shepherds in the house today? No one, but that's okay. We can take some truth from this. The sheepfold would have been kept close or attached to the house of the owner. So when the sheep would come home into the sheepfold, they would come home. It was their home. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am the door home. I am the entry point home to the Father. Now, Jesus doesn't say he's a door. Jesus doesn't say he's one of the doors. Jesus says what? He is the door. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only entry point for eternal security. And he mentions in there that the thieves and the robbers, they're not going to enter by the side. You can only get into heaven through Jesus. So this idea out there that like, oh, you can believe that. We can deconstruct our faith and take this from this and that from that. And we just all kind of like just live a good life. We can all believe all this stuff. And somehow we're going to all end up in heaven. That's not correct. Jesus is saying, I'm the only way. I'm everything. You want to get to heaven? You want to be with the Father? You have to come through me. John 14, 6 says this. I am the way. Jesus is speaking. Another I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now this word only or the, this is the word that our culture struggles with, isn't it? Why? Because it's, people say, oh, well, Jesus is being exclusive here. What about what everybody else thinks or feels? Is Jesus being exclusive? No, I would argue that Jesus is not being exclusive. He's being specific. He's not being exclusive. He's being specific. What do I mean by that? If you were to invite me to your house for lunch after church, that would be great. Because um, I'm not cooking. <laughs> Just, although I did learn to make sourdough bread. Okay, anyways, that's a random fact. Um, but if you were to invite me to your house and you were to say, hey, Mile, we'd love to have you over for lunch, and this is how you get there. Okay, so if you could just go down the street, there's going to be a really big tree. It might have one purple flower on the side. Look for that tree. Then go left, and you'll see some goats and a cow, and sometimes there's a really old horse that's out there, and you'll see like a bucket that's grayish blue. Keep going. And then on the side, on the left, you're going to see an old grocery store, and that's where you turn left. And then you keep going for, you know, a bit, and then you turn right. I will never, even if I can find my keys, I will never make it to your house. I'll never make it. Why? Because I have no idea what you're talking about. You're not being specific. But this is how I could get to your house. If you write on a piece of paper your address, and you tell me exactly which streets to go on, and I find my keys, I will show up at your house for lunch. Why? Because it's specific. And here Jesus is being specific. He's giving us the actual directions to heaven. There's no guessing game. There's no random cow in a field you have to look for. It's not based on how you feel. It's based on the truth that Jesus is the door. He is the entry point to the Father. We can get excited about that. Why? Because Jesus is so good that he wants to give us specifics. So that we don't miss out. Well, some would say, well, 
well, yeah, okay, he might be specific, but he's not including. Like, like that excludes people. Well, it actually doesn't. I would argue that Christianity, Jesus is so inclusive because it says in John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the, wor- the world that he gave his only son. Here's the word. That whoever, everybody say whoever. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever. Who's whoever? Whoever. It's whoever. It's anybody. Anybody who believes in Jesus. Anybody who comes through Jesus as the door. Anybody who confesses that Jesus is Lord will be saved. Whoever. His will is that none should perish. So what is Jesus doing? He's being specific. He's saying, I'm the door. I'm the door. And I'm welcoming you home to the Father. When I think about heaven, sometimes it's incomprehensible to imagine what heaven will be like. But for those of you in the room, and maybe this is your first time hearing this, or maybe you've walked away from the Lord, or you're wrestling with whether or not you want to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you're listening online. I love the promise in Revelation 21 that it it paints a beautiful picture of what heaven's like. And it says this, Revelation 21, 3 and 4. God's dwelling place is now among his people. This is the new heavens and the new earth. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. Here it is. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That's what heaven is like. How many of you, does that sound amazing? No more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more death. None of it. This is the promise. Yes, there's going to be things in heaven that we couldn't comprehend with our earthly brain, with our our brain. But what God is saying is this is what you can count on. There will be no more suffering in heaven. The disease that you have fought for so long, that disease will no longer have a hold on your body. You you are a new creation. You will be made new. You are made new in Christ, and you'll get your heavenly body. I'm excited for that. No more pain, no more suffering. Jesus is the door. The second revelation we get about why Jesus is everything is that Jesus is our door of protection. It says, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There is a spiritual battle. The enemy is real. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the spiritual forces around us. Why it's important to have our armor on. Ephesians 6 But what this is saying is he's saying that there's an enemy that wants to destroy you. There's an enemy that wants to wreak havoc on your life. This is not a surprise attack. He is coming after the children of God. Why? To confuse their identity, to separate them from God. But when you enter through the door of Jesus, you are then marked by the blood of Jesus that was shed for you on Calvary, which means that is a boundary line that the enemy can no longer mess with you. Why? Because you are Jesus's. He has no authority over you. He has no authority over you. You have been bought with a price, Jesus's blood. And because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, 
and claimed victory over the enemy, you and I have victory too. So even though the enemy might come, the victory is already ours because of Jesus. And I love this imagery in John 10 because Jesus shows us how to stay under the covering of protection from the shepherd. It says this, it says in um, verse 2 and 3, he who enters the door by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his what? Voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought the out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. How do you stay under the protection of your shepherd? You listen for his voice. You see, Jesus, as our shepherd, would not open the gate to danger. Jesus, as our shepherd, will keep us safe. He will lead us into green pastures. He will guide us in paths of righteousness. He will close the gate and protect us from the attacks of the enemy. But we have to listen for his voice. Do you know his voice? Are you listening to his voice? And I know this is a struggle for a lot of us. Is that God? Is that really God speaking to me? Have you ever thought that or asked yourself, is that the pizza I ate last night or is that God speaking to me this morning? Like, Lord, is that you? And here's what I want to encourage you with. You were born with an innate nature to hear from God. God is a communicator. How he created the world, how did he do it? He spoke it. God's a, a communicator. He created you and I with the ability to communicate. Why would he create us with the ability to communicate and then not communicate with us? He wants to communicate with you, but here's what it's like. It's like when a baby, anybody have a, a young baby or a brother or sister or niece or nephew, when they're young, they're learning the sound of the voice and of your voice as a mom or a dad. And as they grow, they start to make sounds, right, that make no sense. And all the parents think it's so cute, but no one knows what they're saying. Well, as that child grows and matures, he not only understands the voices that are speaking to them, but they can communicate back. It's like that in our relationship with God. You're not going to be able to say big, huge words right when you start speaking to God. You grow and you mature in it. And it's not something that you can just practice once a week. Here, I want to illustrate it like this. If, if, if Marina and I were to go out to coffee, and we're sitting there, and uh, you know, the average person takes 20,000 breaths a day. 20,000 on average. If you take more than that, you might need to see your doctor. So 20,000 breaths per day. And I'm sitting with Marina, and we're having coffee. And we're talking, and all of a sudden, I just go. <laughs> and she, hopefully, I know she would look at me and go, what is wrong with you? <gasps> well, I got to get my 20,000 breaths in, and I'm really busy later, so I'm just going to get it all in now. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. I can't not breathe later and get all of it in earlier. What? I have to take breaths all day long to stay alive. You have to practice listening for the voice of God all day long, every single day. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's not just a Wednesday night thing. It's not just right when you get out of bed. You have to practice listening for the voice of God. Why? Because it's like breath for your soul. He leads and he guides you. 
I love what it says in, in Psalms 23, the picture of what it looks like to have the Lord as our shepherd. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is the door you can trust. And here is the last point I want to make about this, that Jesus is our protector. Oftentimes when a door shuts or, or a door doesn't open, we interpret it as rejection. But what if it's not rejection and really God's protection? What if the moments that you prayed so hard for a door to open and it didn't, and you felt discouraged and felt like you weren't good enough, had nothing to do with you and had everything to do with the goodness of God, that he was protecting you from something you could not see? A closed door does not mean that God has forgotten you. A closed door and an open door, when you're listening to the sound of your Savior, it's actually God's protection over your life. I heard a story of a man who was praying so hard for a job, and he was praying for a specific job, and he wanted it. He knew it was it. He knew it would be the best fit. And he got through two rounds of interviews and went back for the third, and he was so excited about it. Well, he got in there, and the employer said, hey, we, we really like you. We think you're the, uh, the great fit for this job, but we're not going to hire you. We've decided we, we're going to go with someone else. Well, this man was devastated because this was it. This was the job he'd been praying for. This was the open door he'd been praying for. And then the door just shut on him, and he struggled with it. He wrestled with it, but he kept seeking the Lord. Two years later, that business went bankrupt, and he was close to retirement. He would have lost everything. You see, sometimes a closed door is actually the Lord protecting you from things you can't see. Jesus is a door you can trust. Jesus is everything. Our salvation, our eternal security is found in him. Our protection is found in him. And the third point is this, that Jesus is the door to abundant life. To abundant life. That word life in the Greek is zoe. Everybody say zoe. It's a cool word. It's a feminine word that means life, fullness of life. And it pertains to both the physical and the spiritual existence of life. So what Jesus is saying in this passage is he's saying, I have come that you may have life, fullness of life in eternity, but also here on earth. I have come that you may experience abundance while you're here on this earth. What does that mean? You don't have to live like a miserable Christian the rest of your life. Actually, in fact, we are called to walk in the fullness of what God has for us every single day. Now, this abundance is not determined by your circumstances. This abundance does not mean, does not mean that you won't experience difficulty. 
But what it does say is that regardless of what you face, you have an abundance of peace. You have an abundance of joy. You have an abundance of hope in Jesus. And you can walk in the fullness of that regardless of what you're going through. He has come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Worship team, you can go ahead and come. There's a story that I read a few years ago about a girl who was adopted. She was in the foster care system, and she was adopted into this family. And being adopted into this family, she was excited because she had lived in the foster care system her whole life. And she came to this family, and this family, uh, she quickly realized it was a conditional relationship, that if she behaved, she received. So she still had not experienced what love felt like. And in this home, they, as a family, made a plan that they were going to go to Disneyland. And they were so excited about it. And so they told her, if you behave, then you might get to go to Disneyland. So she did everything that she could to be on her best behavior. She did everything that she could to be on her best behavior. But then when the time came, her new parents told her, sorry, you screwed up too many times. You're not gonna go, you don't get to go to Disneyland. So they all went to Disneyland without her. They came back from Disneyland. It's a true story. Came back from Disneyland, showed her the pictures of how much fun they had in Disneyland, how great it was. And I can tell just by how you're moving in your seat, how irritated that makes you. It's wrong. It doesn't feel right. And she was devastated. She thought, what did I do? What did I do? I did my best, and I still wasn't good enough. Well, this family ended up deciding that they didn't want to keep her. And so they gave her back up for adoption. And a new family took her in to their fold. And this new family, they loved like Jesus. She didn't have to perform. She didn't have to, her love was not, she didn't receive love based on how well she had behaved. It was, she was loved because she was, she was her. It was just because it was her, because they loved her. And as they got to know her, her story unfolded and they heard that her previous family had gone to Disneyland and not taken her. And this family felt the same way you did when I was telling that story. Like, that's not right. So they decided as a family, they were going to take her to Disneyland. And they planned it. And they had a whole plan of what they were going to do. And this little girl, as she got closer and closer to this date, her behavior became worse and worse. And what came up, what surfaced was just the trauma of feeling rejected and abandoned. And this family told her, the dad told her, he said, there's nothing you can do that will separate me from my love for you or keep you from going to Disneyland. Nothing you do. So the day finally came. She stood at those gates and she got to go into Disneyland. And the look on her face, the smile was as big as her face. Her eyes were so big. She was so excited because not only did she, she didn't just hear about, now she got to experience it. And she, she went in and she rode all the rides. She got to meet all of the princesses. She got to eat all of the delicious food and the churros that she wanted. She got to do everything she desired to do. And when they got back to the hotel that night, her new dad, her adopted dad, looked at her and he said, well, he's like, honey, you got to, you got to go to Disneyland. What did you think? And she looked at him with big eyes, tears in her eyes. She said, dad, 
you know, Disneyland was awesome, but really the best part was I got to go, not, not because I was good, but because I'm yours. And I love the picture of that because that's what God does for us. He has adopted you and I into his family. And he loves us unconditionally. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And some of you need to hear that today. Nothing you have done will separate you from the love of God. And nothing can separate you from the fullness that is found in Jesus. And his fullness, his abundance is better than any ride you'll see at Disneyland. And I love Disneyland. But the hope that you'll experience, the peace you experience, the joy you'll experience, it's fullness found in Jesus. And it's not based on how well you behave. It's not based on what you do. You can't earn it. It is freely given to you in Jesus. So when Jesus says he is the door, he's really just saying, I'm everything you need. Everything you need is found in me. He is the door. And this morning, as I've been praying about today, I felt like the Lord just said that we're gonna take, we're gonna take some moments here at the end to allow your space, your seat is gonna become an altar before the Lord. And the Lord has a fresh touch for you today. Up in the bleachers, I see you. Come on, let's, let's give a shout out to our youth who are sitting up there and other families that are sitting up there. God has something special for you today. But first, but before we do that, I, I wanna give an opportunity for those of you in the room that you have not said yes to Jesus, two, two specific things, you've not yet said yes to Jesus, you have not opened the door to Jesus. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to say the best yes of your life. If you know Jesus, would you agree with me that it's the best yes you ever said in your life? If you're wondering if this thing is real, just find someone who had their hand up and they'll tell you the story about how they encountered a man named Jesus and he gave sight back to their eyes. How he transformed their life. How he gave them purpose and fullness of life. He gave them unexplainable joy and peace. Jesus is the door. The second group is maybe you're here and you have run away from God. You ran out the door. When Jesus said, stay, you ran. Today's a day for you to rededicate your life to Jesus and come back home. So with every eye closed, every head bowed in this room, I'm gonna give you, up the, give you an opportunity here in the room and online. Salvation works over, over on the line too. It doesn't have to happen in the room. If you're here today and you wanna make the best yes of your life, you wanna say yes to Jesus, or you wanna rededicate your life to Jesus, I want you to just slip your hand up, raise your hand up. Salvation all over this room. I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand, I see that hand. Lift your hands up high so I can see it. I see that hand, I see that hand. Thank you, Jesus. We prayed for 10 salvations today, lift it high. Would you lift up high? There are over 10 hands raised in this room right now. Would you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come in and be my Lord and Savior. I say yes to you as my door. I want to experience all you have for me. Thank you, Jesus, for adopting me into your family. 
be my Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us online for our live stream at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com. Dot com.